Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Welcome, guys. Uh, as you're aware, this is the Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host and right-winger, Mike Gruen. Mike, good to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. For those uh, not watching, we're uh, both wearing our hockey jerseys. Uh, I'm not a conservative right-winger, just to put that out there. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, welcome to the episode. Um, and we'd like to start every episode by asking our guests what their favorite pairing is. Uh, Ian, why don't you why don't you lead us off? And uh, what's your what's your favorite pairing? Sure, I practiced one practiced this one at home with my kids last night. My favorite pairing is dad jokes and awkward silence. <laughs> ah, perfect. That's good. That's good. Do you have any dad jokes up your sleeve? Or that was a dad joke. Oh, that was a dad joke. Okay. <laughs> I should have waited for more awkward silence. Yeah. <laughs> I messed up you, know, the pair. you know how you measure? You know how you measure dad joke on the uh, si- seismograph. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the awkward silence. Perfect. And there's the awkward silence. <laughs> um, yeah, Mike, what's a what's a what's a good per, uh, pairing for you? For me, it's uh, bourbon and popsicles. Wow. That's an interesting. Any particular flavor popsicle? Uh, whichever ones are in the fridge or in the freezer. Um, mm. I'm an adult, so I can have whatever I want. <laughs> That's true. Just don't mix those up when the kids are around. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with um, Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals, just based on the fact that I'm a huge DC Caps fan here. And uh, Mike, you are wearing a, a Rangers jersey. Yeah, I guess that. so. Then I guess that makes my favorite pairing um, uh, heartbreak and misery. So, <laughs> yeah, well, Washington football team fan here as well. So I can certainly relate. Awesome. Um, well, good stuff. Well, why don't we jump into the, you know, the reason that we're all here today and uh, riff on this discussion around uh, build versus buy or buy versus build, um, you know, obviously something that is debated, you know, amongst, you know, engineering leaders, product owners, founders of different startups, uh, on a daily basis. Um, Mike, why don't you give us like, you know, your, your definition of build versus buy and kick off with your thoughts on the topic. Sure. So for me, the definition of build versus buy is really what can you do to help your company achieve their goals, either by building it uh, from scratch or, you know, buying a solution. Uh, there are schools of thought, hence why we're both here uh, on both sides of the issue. But uh, it really boils down to you know, what can we do as an engineering organization to advance our own goals. Nice. Ian, um, any anything on, on that note or um, similar yeah. similar feelings? Sure. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the usually for any particular component you're looking at or service, you're trying to decide, you know, do we build or buy uh, this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're looking at the whole portfolio of some sort of a product or company, um, it's usually not entirely buy versus build. It's usually what are we buying and what are we building? 
um, so that we're strategic in our scarcest resource, which is usually time. Um, obviously, money is involved. Um, the economics do play into it, um, but a lot of times it's about opportunity cost. You know, as your your product company weighs different uh, different options for different aspects of your total solution. Yeah, I think that that leads into a great point on opportunity cost and, and build versus buy. And I think there's hidden costs as well, um, as you sort of hinted at, right? Even when you're buying a solution, it's not just buying a solution, right? Like there's going to be some time cost to implement it, um, integrate it into your systems. And I think that's uh, one of those hidden things. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think when it comes to hidden costs or just things to take into consideration, right? There's more than just the price tag of, you know, build versus buy. There's things like, um, you know, what's the, the long-term cost of this in terms of maintenance? Um, because whether you buy or build part of your team probably is going to have to support something. Um, uh, is this thing that we could buy stable enough to rely on, or is there going to be hidden cost in having to patch, you know, problems uh, either you know some sort of open source project that you can contrib- contribute to, or something that you have to negotiate with a product team somewhere that that you're paying, um, or even having to sometimes patch around issues, right? Using encapsulation to like encapsulate a service or something, um, and figuring out how do you fill in the gaps, um, whether those are uh, capability gaps or technical gaps, because something just doesn't work. Um, you have to really look at total cost, you know, of ownership, kind of like when you're buying a car, right? It's, it's good to know, you know, what, what's not just the make and model and the cost of, you know, acquiring this, but what's the maintenance typically look like for, you know, this sort of vehicle. Right. I could certainly talk to, you know, when you would talk about building something as well. I mean, the cost of recruiting right now is at an all time high. Um, the cost of acquiring talent, you know, is becoming more and more difficult these days, given the market. Um, Engineering salaries are, are increasing at drastic rates, more so than they ever have in, in years past. And uh, you're going to inherit that cost. Um, it's also going to take some time to find the right individuals. And so if you're going to be pretty particular, which most startups tend to be uh, with finding you know that, that right engineering mold, it's going to take you a little bit of time and you're going to pay for it. So weighing that into the, the equation certainly should uh, play a part. So, yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, like there's the cost side, right? And then there's other decisions. You know, what other factors do you want to take it? Do you guys usually take into consideration when you're trying to make that decision of do we want to build this? Do we want to buy uh, build it in-house, buy it, some sort of uh, something in between? I don't know, Mike, what your your thoughts are. But, um, you know, obviously I do, actually, because we've talked a little bit about this. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm curious, you know, what what uh, what other characteristics you look for, constraints you you, you think of? Yeah. I mean, outside of the monetary cost, they're all, there's also the human cost. Uh, so cost of, uh, like we mentioned, maintaining uh, the software itself, um, also acquiring knowledge. Uh, so for a piece of technology where it's not our core strength uh, or it's not something that the you know team knows intimately, thinking about like databases and maintaining those long term, that's something that you also have to think about to make sure, is it worth us ramping up on, um, you know, maintaining a cluster, uh, having knowledge about HA, um, when we could you know, acquire something that has all of that uh, and a whole company standing behind, uh, making sure that those things are you know, um, thought of and are, you know, have an SLA behind uh, 
there's also that. And the other cost is uh, in choice. So I think back to, um, you know, assembling, you know, on, at least on the front end um, with, you know, choosing between like Angular JS and React, uh, where one was an all-in-one toolkit and the other one was, you know, best of breed, build up your own. That's kind of something you think about when you build something, you think about all the different pieces, what cloud do we deploy to, what um, database do we use, what, um, you know, front-end language do we use versus we use, uh, we integrate someone else's SaaS product that has all that kind of behind the scenes and we just interact with a connection string. Um, it really reduces the amount of cognitive load that your team has to deal with versus, you know, building something up where you know all the intimate pieces of it, but is that worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, and Ian, um, feel free to jump in, but like the sort of quarter your business versus is it commodity, that type of stuff, I think isn't sort of what you're hinting at, Mike, but I'm, Ian, I'm curious what your, yeah, your yeah. thoughts are. Yeah, yeah I think... Um, Cost is important. You know how staff are going to support this is important. Um, a lot of times, though, it needs to start with what's the strategic value of this. Um, does this uh, is this something that is strategically core to our business in a way that we know there's going to be a lot of iteration, you know, on this aspect that we're going to be listening to user feedback and having to make it better or extend it because of that feedback or that market strategy. Um, or is it something that's just a commodity service that's um, something that's not going to need a lot of iteration, something that really is kind of the same sort of service or functionality across all, you know, all or most web products um, or software products or whatever you're building um, that can just be outsourced without worrying about having to have it differentiated, you know, from other uh, people's products. Um, it's a great way to involve, you know, the business team in the, the conversation around build versus buy is, you know, starting with, okay, what's the big problem we're trying to solve here? Is this solution part of our core value add in the world? Or is this something that is more secondary or tertiary? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's right. The the whole um, core to business is always one that I've used as a main driver. Like, is this really part of our intellectual property? Is this what we... Find, you know, is this really where we want to be spending our time? Is this where we want to hire developers? Um, and I think what's sort of amazing about, and you guys, we've, we've all experienced it over the last 10, 20 years, which is uh, everything is becoming more and more commoditized. It used to be the case that you needed to have like somebody who, like if you wanted to build an authentication system, you kind of had no choice but to build that yourself. And now there's, you know, authentication as a service is basically becoming commodity. There's a bunch of players in that space. Um, infrastructure is another place, you know, it's databases, um, you know, time and again, I think that's just the the direction that everything is going is, is pretty soon. It's really just assembling third-party pieces that do all of the things that you don't want to have to deal with. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think it's the, the builders by decisions just getting that much more complicated because in the past it was, it was a little more straightforward, like there were less options. And so, so it's, I think sometimes I, you know, and I, I've experienced this um, recently in uh, places I've worked where it's like, it's hard. Is this corridor business is actually sometimes a really hard question to answer. Um, yeah, I think so, there's, there's more discipline that has to go in now into um, not accidentally just adopting something because it's available. Right. Right. That, um, and, and these, you know, these the options are usually relatively inexpensive. And so 
it does have to be about what's the core value we add to the world. And um, even if we do decide to buy right now, what's the future switching cost uh, involved um, in, in, in the you know, inevitable future that tends to come at some point, especially in a multi-year journey um, where you do end up having to convert stuff that is purchased to um, custom as your as your needs uh, develop, or even and just switching from a, one one thing that you've purchased to a different thing, right? Like every you can you can outgrow a thing, or um, I can think of a number of, uh, you know, you sort of get in early at a company, like it, it's an early adopter to their platform, and then you know you're using it, and you and uh, they sort of make maybe a pivot, <laughs> and then next thing you know, you're sort of this like legacy customer um, using the system that they don't really want to support anymore. And you're, you're sort of left like, okay, now what do we do? We have to find somebody else to migrate to. So there's that type of stuff as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's when it becomes super important to hold your data and hold that sacred because yeah. you do, you will want to switch from one platform to another as you outgrow one where you were either the earlier adopter or it met your needs at one point, but now they are stagnant and they're not growing. Here's a new one that comes along that they've got a new team behind them. They're doing a lot more and a lot more and more quickly. You're able to like swap over if you hold on to your data in a way that it makes that transition transparent to your company and to your users. Um, and it, like, it gives you that value versus one where you've built it up from scratch and you can no longer, you know, you don't have that autonomy. You, you are just at the mercy of whatever you have uh, assembled yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. The whole risk and offsetting that risk of what happens if they go out of business, if they get acquired, if they no longer meet our needs, whatever it is, that's something that really needs to be taken into account when you're when you're building these things. Um, I'm well, curious. I a quick yeah. question, like um, as far as like key stakeholders that go into that decision, that final decision, is it um, is it usually uh, a group decision? Like, let's loop in the product team as well. Let's you know, let's get the CTO on board or. Where, what is the, you know, who's the team at hand that's kind of going into this, you know, decision-making process? Well, at least for, for me uh, and my team, it depends on, uh, I guess, the size and the impact of the thing that you're trying to integrate in. Um, if it is, you know, a one-off tool um, that can help your team move quickly, uh, it's not too terribly expensive. Um, the decision can rest within our team if it's something that's going to impact more of our users, um, be this you know, very centralized uh, piece of technology like an authentication system that's going to require the full engineering team uh, and the, the VPs and CTOs to sign off on. And if it's something even larger, like a CRM, that's going to require everyone to sign off on uh, because of just like the monetary impact to the rest of the company. Yeah, I think, um, right, for um, when I think about it, right, those stakeholders are, you know, first of all, not every tool is necessarily, not everything that you're thinking about is uh, user-facing. So, like, if it is end-user-facing, then probably product needs to get involved. If it's um, if it's a tool that's going to be used by some subset of the people within the organization, obviously, they need to get involved. And um, I think that's, those are all important things to, to keep in mind. Um, and making making a good case. I don't know like how like I think a lot of startups um, sort of the the making the case for a decision like that. Uh, 
you know, especially during growth stages. And um, I'm curious what kind of rigor you guys have seen um, put into those decisions. Is it something that is like super formal and you have to put together like a whole document explaining like the whole thing? Or is it like just a, you have a quick conversation and everybody's like, yeah, no brainer. <laughs> like, um, I've definitely experienced all of it. So I'm, I'm curious what you guys' experiences have been. Well, I've got an answer, but Ian, I'd love if you'd start. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So whenever it's involved money, it's definitely needed to uh, uh, have a little bit more due diligence because we're going to be you know, spending cash that could be used on our, our burn, you know, our, our staff burn rate. Um, so that's, that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, and I think there tends to be a default assumption that we can build all things. <laughs> and so you have to, um, uh, kind of just break out of that mold. And I think sometimes it's, it's upon the, the build team to be the ones who basically pull the Kanban cord and say, hang on, we're stopping the assembly line here. We're going to, um, you know, talk about the strategic, talk about the cost, you know, long-term, short-term, et cetera, and try to um, figure out, uh, because they're the ones who have to maintain this, you know, mm. what's what's the right um, process to be convinced. And I think it, when we talked earlier about that spectrum of commodity versus um, strategic uh, value, you know, extra strategic value for your business, um, that comes into, into play and, and is something that your whole your whole product team has to lean into whether or not they're part of the engineering new team that has to support this or implement it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yep. And then from my perspective, same thing, we write out a document and it's designed to basically lay out, uh, if we, you know, if we build this, these are the important things to think about. If we bought this, these are also the important things to think about and weighing which one, the pros and cons uh, of the two. And it's really like thinking about things like opportunity cost. If you buy something now, uh, depending on how long it takes to integrate it, it could be you know fully utilizing all of its feature set within like a month or so uh, versus building something that's going to take a full year and you won't get to that same place until next uh, next year. Uh, that's something to think about in terms of planning. Um, and then the other thing is like, if we bought something, is it going to give us something that we couldn't get otherwise or without you know, expending a lot of energy, things like compliance or industry, industry compliance. Um, that's something that also you can get um, from something that's going to cost a little bit more versus something that you have to create and then go through the compliance and auditing uh, cycle to get that same like uh, certificate or compliance level that's important to uh, someone that you know, either is investing in you or to your company. Yeah, I think it's always funny when you fall in love with features that you didn't even realize you like, oh, wait, now that I know this guy, you know, th th these people can supply this. I, I almost feel like it's a requirement, whereas going into the, you know, going into that decision making, you might not have even uh, considered that as something that you needed. And next thing you know, there's some vendor out there that's actually able to do something that you hadn't even considered as an option. And now it's suddenly a, a requirement, even though you never thought of it in the planning stages. Um, what what goes into like the, the process of comparing one vendor versus another? So you, you've settled on this feature that you think will will add some value. Um, is there a you know, specific research arm uh, within the department that's you know tasked to go out and see what else is out there before we settle on this? That would be awesome, but no, that's <laughs> me. <laughs> Uh, exactly what Mike said, uh, listing out the four or five features that you actually need, uh, mm -hmm. for this piece 
of your architecture, uh, starting with that and seeing who does those things really well, putting those into a short list, and then you know, comparing them on other dimensions like price or ease of use or ease of uh, integration. Um, that's that's the beginning of the journey. It's a mistake to go the other way around saying which company is like the most well-known uh, and can give me you know a hundred different things or who's the company that can give me 120 things but you're only going to use five or ten of them uh, i do find it funny that you bring that up because when i was building up the um our data stack at cybrary um i sort of had an idea of like well this is a pretty common architecture whatever but i'm going to go out data science team myself we're going to go out and we're going to look at all these different things and in the end we basically spent several months well, not several months probably several weeks uh doing all of these like experiments and weighing all of our options and would have and ended up going with like well it turns out the standard stack is actually the standard stack for a reason <laughs> um you know for for what we were doing it was kind of funny um how that can prove out but you're right that it's a pitfall to sort of look at like what's the what's the well-known and um, and then just going with that can sometimes lead to, to bad outcomes as well. Um, I'm curious, you know, Ian, what your thoughts are on, on how you go about that, um, comparing vendors and stuff. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. Yeah. Well, I, I think everything we, I agree with everything we've said so far um, about starting with what's critical and building out from there. Um, and I, I want to go back to something uh, that um, Mike said earlier, which was um, around, you know, the industry you're in the, in the supporting infrastructure that has to be in place. Um, sometimes the group you're integrating with has more than just software. Maybe they've got a support team that comes along with, um, you know, the service. Um, maybe um, there's uh, a group that then has to, you know, integrate, you know, that software with your customer software uh, or their IT uh, infrastructure. Um, maybe uh, you need to get to know that that team to understand you know, where are we going to fall in the rank of priorities based on how we're using the product, the size of the contract we're going to get into, are they going to be responsive, you know, to our needs and the needs of our market, or are we kind of using this for an unofficial purpose, or are we so low on the totem pole that we're just not going to be able to get uh, any help, even if there are bugs, you know, that need to be fixed. So I think understanding what's the su support system around this, either for you or for your customers or for your market 
uh, could be a helpful one. Uh, yeah, as definitely. Well. The the support aspect of um, uh, you know, are we in the eighty percent of the use cases that this company, you know, that this vendor supports, or are we in the twenty percent? Are we in a new market that they're trying to get into? And and if that's the case, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to get actually better support because we're sort of a test client, or does that mean we're going to get worse support because we're not core to their business and they're not really sure yet if this is really the direction they want to go? I've definitely experienced that. Um, yeah, and one one that we've um, we've experienced a little bit has been um, just understanding the connection with competitors or even if this service is a competitor now or could be a competitor uh, later. Mm. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, companies acquire the companies and sometimes, sometimes those are your competitors. And as much as we'd like to believe um, that people are making decisions, you know, in a vacuum altruistically, uh, that's not the way the world works, right? There's, uh, competition and, um, you have to be able to, to, to assess and kind of empathize. Like if we were in their position, um, how would we prioritize, you know, our own company here, um, to make sure that you're, you are going to get your, you know, your needs met. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I've definitely experienced that as well, where a competitor of ours actually acquired companies that we had good relationships with, um, because for them, it was sort of the same build versus buy, but they decided to to buy the company rather than just buy the product or buy the service. So, right, next thing you know, you're you're sort of in a scramble mode where now you're, you had a relationship that just got acquired by one of your um, competitors, and that's always uh, a tough situation. We actually see that more and more often is companies, you know, being bought out just purely for the employees themselves, for the engineering talent themselves, versus having to go through the the hassle of recruiting the next five engineers. Let's right. just go buy this. Let's just go buy this company. Right. The aqua hire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, on the higher, the other end of the spectrum here when it comes to that, but there's also more options for that. I was just looking at a. Uh, heard it on a podcast, a company uh, called Microacquire, which is startups, you know, SaaS companies selling at the very infancy, infancy stages, but they've got some sort of an MVP. They've got some sort of a, a product that's being used. It's generating some sort of a revenue and you can scoop it up, you know, via this, you know, no hassle kind of startup acquisition platform. So it's yeah, becoming more and more frequent. Yeah. So, so we've been talking a lot about just like build versus buy, but um, you know, um, you know, Ian, I know, you know, before we before we started recording, we were talking a little bit, and I think you have an interesting story about like sort of a like a middle ground where it, you know you you came up with a sort of an interesting way of of not making that like it doesn't have to be just purely build versus buy. There's other options out there. I'm, right. I'm hoping you understand yeah. what I'm uh, referring yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um... In addition to the traditional, you know, buy versus build um, perspectives, there sometimes can be creative ways that you can apply capital to um, to accomplish uh, goals, particularly as it relates to open source. Um, and there's a story I love to share where back when I was working at um, a startup called Living Social, I was uh, leading a team that was working on um, a product called Takeout and Delivery. It was for ordering food. Um, for takeout and delivery. And we needed to be able to let users search for things within their delivery range. Um, and we needed uh, geo search capabilities in Sphinx, which is a database index. And 
we were looking at how to build this ourselves. So we need to add these uh, geo search capabilities to Sphinx. And we're trying to figure out, you know, do we add this ourselves? Do we um, totally switch to a different, you know, index? And um, what would it look like to contribute to this open source project? And an engineer on my team, Andrew Hunter, uh, came to me and said, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't we reach out to the maintainers of the project and see if we can pay them to do this work? Sure enough, they did custom work and gave us a quote for how to add these capabilities. And these were capabilities that were not just things that we needed. It was stuff that really um, anyone who was doing geo in Sphinx could utilize. The, um, the double benefit of um, us being able to pay for this was that they were going to build it into, the, into uh, part of the core offering. So we would benefit from the long-term maintenance of this thing, even with the initial investment that we made. We wouldn't have to maintain it. We wouldn't have to you know, keep in line with all the updates that were happening upstream to the main project and try to keep you know, our customizations in line with it. Uh, we could uh, basically benefit uh, for as long as they continue to support you know, that sort of core functionality on their product. Um, and I uh, thought it was a real creative way of thinking about how to apply capital to basically a, um, a build. It, build. it was kind of a build and buy, right? We were paying for build on top of a buy. Um, that uh, that ended up uh, just working out for for us and for the open source project in this community. So yeah, I've, used this, a, I've used this tactic a, a few times now, and it's uh, it's actually worked um, for a few different open source projects. And I've even used it against some service providers when they're not able to ship something. I've offered my team's time to join their team for a period of time to go build the thing that we need uh, and. Thankfully, each time that I've offered that, it's kind of eliminated excuses and, and people have actually built what we needed. Um, but that's always something that I've offered uh, in a pinch to try to, to get uh, get stuff that we need uh, built into the stuff we've already purchased. Cool. RIP Living Social, by the way. That was one of the DC startup sweethearts back in the day. I think it was Groupon that, that bought them, wasn't it? They did. And um, yeah, it was a great, great group. Um, it has a group of engineers and... Yeah. Uh, a lot of folks that I have relationships with now, uh, professionally, came from that great organization. Yeah, it's a lot of entrepreneurs actually. That's that you know spun up the next wave of startups in the area. Came out of Living Social. It's a really really cool story. There's a lot of buying and a lot of building. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good stuff. Well, uh, do we have any other like closing thoughts on the topic um, before we jump into the? the wheel of uh hatchpad community over here. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's not a build versus buy uh black or white issue. Obviously there's a lot of nuance in it uh, really. And it's not just for everything that you're doing. It could be for one part of your architecture or one part of the company. Uh, but it's something that you really should think about. Uh, for me earlier on in my career, it was just, let's build everything. I know how to do it. I've seen a video. I can do it. But you know, later on, you know, there's a lot more trade-offs, a lot more things you can think about that can help you accelerate the amount of things you could be doing as a company as a whole. If you think about it just a little deeply, a little bit more deeply. Cool. Mike, G, do you have uh, anything else you want yeah, to add? Yeah, I think off of what Mike was saying, the... Um... Like I think from a career perspective, that's a that's a great point. Is like early on, I think a lot of engineers um, think about just they want to build things, they want to build things, and they don't 
you know, the, the, the advantage to integrating something and seeing how something else is built. And then um, that's a, that's just a great skill set in general is learning how to integrate services together and sort of um, mask, you know, uh, shortcomings in other party, you know, and other people's stuff. Um, but I think that's, I think that's a similar journey that I had, which is like, right in the early days I wrote everything. And then, um, you know, now it's, it's really, um, I think about, like what is where do we really want to spend our time and what do we really want to be doing and I think that that's um, something that I think comes as you as you progress in your career as a, as a developer or as a product manager or whatever is really making sure to focus on the on the, the value on what you're trying to provide to your customers. Well, well said. All right. Well, on that note, why don't we uh, wrap up the. Uh, the main topic here and transition to, um, you know, something that obviously is a part of, you know, our, our podcast, um, touching on career development. Um, you know, we obviously want to add value outside of just, you know, the pure tech talk. Um, and this wheel here will help serve in, uh, guiding us, uh, down some different topics. So what I'll do is spin this wheel and grab, gravitate towards a specific, category uh that's centered around career development such anticipation what a fine wheel promotions all right so the way that we'll do this is just um we'll bounce back and forth between both mike and ian on this here and the the question i've got here centered around promotions it's pretty general, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think this is an area that a lot of folks don't really know how to anticipate asking uh, for a promotion. So I'm curious to hear how you uh, would navigate yourself asking for a promotion um, in your role. Yeah, I could start. Uh, so navigating a promotion for me. Um, it's the same advice I give to the people that are also on my team is to do so in like an evidence-based way. Um, so we use a, uh, a, you know, a ladder um, that has, you know, what our current position is, what our current level is, and then the next level up. So I would say go to that next level, uh, get those four or five different bullet points that are in all the different categories and then map them to what you've done in, over the last quarter. Uh, and then that gives a very solid um, you know, piece of or solid document that has everything that says what the next level, um, what you're expected of at that next level and the fact that you've done it. So there shouldn't be any uh, no qualms about bumping you up there if there if if it's the time to do so in your company to be able to do that because you've done it. You've just demonstrated that for the people that need to see that. Um, and obviously, if yeah, it if they don't want to bump you up at your current company, you also have the same body of work to give to the next company. If you want to apply for that senior role or the uh, engineering manager role or whatever role there is. Nice. Yeah, and if, um, if you don't know the process by which your company or your manager uh, evaluates uh, talent and decides on promotions, that's where you got to start. And there's no better time to crack open that conversation with a new manager uh, when you first join up, right? Whether that's you joining a new company or you be reporting to someone new in an organization, um, 
early on in one-on-ones, either formal or asking for some time, just talking about general things about the department and their leadership and how you can follow and, and support. Um, definitely ask about, hey, how does one progress you know, in this organization? What's the criteria? What's the cadence? You know, is this is there an annual review process? Is there not? Um, what's, what are the things that I need to be mindful of? Um, think being clear on you know what your organization or leader's expectations are uh, on that front is a good place to start. And no matter what sort of framework is in place, there's always a person or people behind the decisions uh, around these sorts of things. So um, although you do need to be really clear about you know what are, what's the criteria, what's what should be my expectations and their expectations, etc. Um, but just knowing you know, what they value and, and maybe even ask that explicitly or, you know, what are the things you want me to focus on, right? Leaning into personal development uh, on the job and communicating with your leader very clearly that I'm eager to grow. Um, you know, that usually translates to demonstrating uh, success because you're paying attention to what your leadership um, cares about. And when it comes time for promotions or um, pay increases and things like that, you know, hopefully you've connected enough uh, with what your leaders are pushing for that um, that you come to mind. Yeah, I mean, I think both of you are sort of saying similar things, which is it's it's not a backward-looking conversation as much as it's a forward-looking setting expectation conversations of what do I, like, it's not about this is the this is all the things I've achieved over the last year, I deserve a promotion, which is a very difficult conversation, I think, to have as opposed to more of a forward-looking, uh, well, what are the things I need to accomplish and what are your expectations of me and so on and so forth. And so that when it comes time for that promotion, everybody's already established what that criteria is. And I think that's a pretty common, I think it's also a hard conversation to have when you like, especially earlier in your career where you might not even realize that that's a conversation you need to have. Like what, what is, what does career growth look like here? What are my options? What do I have to do? But those are, those are definitely the conversations you need to have to make the other conversations about promotions much easier otherwise right you're just sort of surprising your manager and it's going to be a uh could be an awkward conversation (laughs) yeah and what one thing that um is advice mostly i think to folks who may be kind of navigating this for the first time you know sometimes you even check off all those boxes and you might even get your manager to agree that like yeah you improved here you're doing this now but you're still not getting you know, such and such a promotion that can be really difficult for engineers in particular, because we're very much caught up into the details. And there's a, there's this concept called gestalt, which basically is that the sum does not always equal the sum of the parts or like the total does not equal the sum of some of the parts. Um, and that's just, a, it is a thing about how, um, uh, businesses work in terms of deciding who's in what position, um, and ultimately deciding on, you know, promotions and pay. Sometimes there are, you have to take a step back from the details and look at the complete picture and just say, you know, does this make sense for organization? Does it make sense for this person? And if you're on the receiving end of that in a way in which you feel is unfair, it can be really destructive to then try to bicker over, well, I had this and I did this and I got, you're probably never going to win that argument. Um, instead, I think it's best to just express, you know, honest disappointment. Oh, I'm disappointed. Like I, I thought, you know, I was on track to, uh, to get into the next level. What else can I do? And, and, um, and, and, you know, it is a manager or leader's job to lead people, right. And to be clear about where, where they need to grow. Um, and to even be clear about constraints, um, that exist in the organization, um, 
that may be in the way. But um, it's possible to lean into that sort of disappointment still with some optimism uh, and eagerness to work with your manager to figure out, okay, what's next. And you're not always necessarily tied to an annual, you know, review or promotion process, right? Sometimes things happen mid year or even partway through the year. So leaning, leaning into those as opportunities rather than seeing them as fights to be had, um, you know, can just uh, help you achieve, you know, that goal maybe even more directly because you're having this difficult but explicit conversation around, um, you know, what it is you really need to, to have yeah. to get to the next level. I, I can even speak to the, I think there's um, different phases uh, within the startup ecosystem, right? Where when you, when you talk about super early stage companies, you're at a point where, you know, so call it under 10, uh, everybody's almost a bit of a, a generalist, right? Um, and you're expected to kind of partake in different departments and step up when needed. Uh, then you start to evolve outside of that scope and that size, like similar at Hatch, what would happen is once we got beyond, I'd say, you know, 12 to 15, you start seeing departments forming and people become specialists. And then they want more autonomy, you know, when they're, when you're talking with them about, you know, what path do you want to go down? Do you, do you see yourself be being more in the marketing department? Um, if that's the case, you know, then posing that next question of, do you want to be a people manager or do you enjoy more of this IC type of role? Um, because, you know, creating multiple paths will have different outcomes in terms of promotion, pay, uh, level of effort that you, you're responsible for. Um, and so what we see is like as startups evolve and departments start to gain more headcount, uh, that's a, a clear sign of start thinking through what your, your career growth paths here, uh, if you haven't already. Um, we, on the concept of build versus buy, we actually invested in a, in a software uh, that was, you know, for people management and it had clear cut outlines of career growth tracks that then you can use as a template, but, you know, it's personalized to your business. And it was with that, that, you know, it was really helpful for us to, um, make sure that, you know, our, our team members were aware, like we do have development paths here. Like we're not just going down this stagnant path, but as a startup, you know, oftentimes that's just kind of thrown you're thrown into that. Um, it's not so natural of a, a situation. And so I think it's interesting to think about it too, from uh, the size of the company and when you might be pushed into this path of thinking about promotions for folks. And I think on the, um, the people manager versus IC, I think technology, especially like product engineering, there's a lot of roles where there's no reason why you can't sort of move between them over the course of your career. I don't know what your, your experiences are, um, you know, Mike, but like mine, I, you know, I managed, you know, I led teams and then I went back to being an IC and then I went, then I was a manager again and I went back to being, you know, a lead developer again and sort of, um, I've, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's not like once you choose a path, you'll, you're, it's, you know, going to forever dominate your destiny, right? It's like, you can, you can move, you can, you don't always have to, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that's, you guys have had similar experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You're not, uh, you know, destined to, to go on this upward ladder. You can go up, you can go down, you can do lateral moves. Like you said, go from a people manager, going back to an IC. Uh, it's all about what you want at that stage in your life and that stage in your career. Uh, but it's also about, you know, you know, making it known what you want, advocating for yourself, uh, because you could be on this, you know, continual, you know, escalator, 
uh, just because you've done the the previous job and you've had X number of years of experience, therefore you should be able to do the next one. But do you want to do the next one? Uh, we've had a few people who've come through uh, through our hiring pipeline who have been at that next level up uh, and are applying for jobs that are uh, lower down. But it, it's you know this balance between you know what do you want to do uh, in terms of like growing your career versus having less responsibilities but more free time. Uh, that's up to you to decide. Um, you could still be great at all those different levels. Uh, it's just for you to decide where do you want to be in your career at that moment. Well said. All right. Well, I think that was a success. I think the, the wheel is, is proving its worth right now. So we'll, <laughs> we flip the wheel around and it has your favorite cocktail on there that you'll have to pick from. So, Ooh. um, no, thank you guys. It's been really fun at hanging out. Uh, definitely a good insight. Um, looking forward to uh, putting this one together and pushing it live. Nice. Just, awesome. This yeah. was fun. Yeah. Thanks for uh, joining us. It's been great. Yeah.